0: Right now in America, 1 in 10 people are currently in recovery from drug or alcohol addiction. And of those, some 50 to 90% will relapse at some point in their lives. Because of the power of addiction, many of them may never regain their recovery. Hi, I'm Ron Chapman. I'm an alcoholic with nearly three decades of sustained sobriety. If there's one thing I know about substance abuse recovery, It's that recovery is always a work in progress. Progressive recovery is a commitment to continuously moving forward every day to strengthen one's recovery. Recovery isn't just about learning how to not use. It's about the willingness to tackle the underlying issues that trigger using in the first place. Welcome to Progressive Recovery. People sharing stories from their daily fight for sobriety.
1: This is Rob Chapman and I am so pleased to welcome a longtime friend actually someone I met many years ago and we just happened to discover that we were both in recovery and the reason I've asked her to be here um, on progressiverecovery.org is that in my mind she epitomizes the heart soul and spirit of progressive recovery uh, not because she's virtuous necessarily although you may hear it that way um, but really, because she's very clear of the necessity for her working her recovery progressively over time. So, Laura Sharon, welcome. I'm delighted to have you on here.
2: Thanks, Ron. Glad to be here.
1: So let's just start the simple <clears throat> way. Give us a give us a thumbnail on, on on your story. What it is that brings you here?
2: So my journey into recovery started a long time ago. I just celebrated my 30th uh anniversary in January.
3: Outstanding. And, um, <laughs> yeah,
2: it's pretty amazing. I'm like where does the time go, right? So but you know, I um I have sort of a little bit of a unique story in that um in that I grew up in an alcoholic home my mother my stepmother my dad all three of them were active alcoholics and you know really from the time I was a very young girl i wanted to die i mean i had tremendous sadness and i didn't really understand why um and when i uh was about eleven, I suppose I started using drugs and alcohol things it was very readily available to me because of my parents and um and I started using on almost a daily basis drinking, smoking weed, et etc, and taking pills, which my parents had lots of in the medicine cabinet uh-huh.
3: and
2: um <clears throat> and so that was it was normal in our family, you know it was just normal so I um, when my when I was about a little shy of my 19th birthday, my dad died from cirrhosis of the mm. liver. He had he had been sick for two years, in and out of hospitals, and you know it was one of those classic scenarios where us kids had been begging and begging him to stop drinking, and you know he couldn't. And in any case, um, that was a real like the first sort of wake up call for me. I remember being at his funeral and looking around and watching all the people drinking and thinking, god, there's something really wrong with this picture. This man just drank himself to death. He was 52 years old uh, uh. when he died, and he had been quite an accomplished lawyer and you know all of that and lost everything. And so that was kind of the beginning for me. I quit drinking on my own at that time for about a year. Um, so it was like that little bit of light started to come in and wake me up around all that. And I watched a bunch of other people, friends of my dad, get sober as a result of his dying. Um, but anyway I um I I that sobriety, if you want to even call it that, that dry period lasted about a year and then I went to college and I started drinking again and um and I ended up after school going uh, to Kentucky to do a volunteer job, and I I worked with a doc down there who had been some training in addiction, and he started. And I don't know somehow we started talking about my family, and I <laughs> I think as soon as I started sort of telling the story, you know a little did I know that the profundity of just saying the truth. You know, I was never one to try to pretend that it was anything other than what was really happening. And so anyway, he had some training in addiction, and he suggested that I go to Al-Anon when I left Kentucky and came home. And So I did, and I went to an Al-Anon meeting, and I it, it totally blew me away. I ran out of that room. Some lady reached over and held my hand. I think I cried <laughs> through the whole meeting. <laughs> and I ran out of that meeting scared out of my mind. Like what is going on here? People are talking about this stuff that I had lived with all my life and I was scared of. I didn't know what to do with. And so I ran out of that meeting. It took me about 6 weeks to go back to another one. <laughs> but in any case, that was kind of my dance in the beginning and um right. and how I sort of self-diagnose. So when we did an intervention on my stepmother. We hired an interventionist to, to facilitate it. And he gave us this um, flyer, if you will, um, for this inpatient program for adult children of alcoholics. And at the top of it, it said, you know, if you ha- do you have trouble with trust, intimacy, and control? <laughs> like, well, yeah. That would be my whole life, right? I mean, anyway, as a result of that, I picked up the phone and called and put myself into an inpatient rehab, you know, program for adult children. Mm. And in there, my counselor made me write my drug and alcohol history. And, Mm. you know, and I was like, really? So by the end of the week, the two other ladies who had been in my group, uh, who had that same task, they were both saying, oh, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. Like, I need to go to AA and And I was still going, well, maybe if I kept drinking, I'd become an alcoholic. And um, so I agreed when I got out of that ACOA treatment. I agreed to go to an open AA meeting every other week. (laughs) And I was still going to Al-Anon. And at, at that point, I had started picking up the AA literature and reading the big book. And somewhere in there, it talks about this notion of, you know, it's not about how much you drink that makes you an alcoholic, but what happens to you when you drink. And it's not that you can't stop. It's the staying stopped. And that is mm. what really resonated for me, which was that I had stopped many times and then always went back. And so it was sort of at that point I was about 24, and I, I – I, it. Finally, I was in an open AA meeting that I had been going to and raising my hand and identifying as a member of Al-Anon. I'd been going to this meeting for about a year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one day I just was like, I'm an alcoholic. I finally was able to say the words. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as mm. as many adult children um, have this same challenge, which is, uh, you know, we we. We swear that we're never going to be like our parents, you know, and then there we are pouring the booze down the throat. So I was—that's mm-hmm. how I got into the program, mm-hmm. got into recovery was, at that point.
1: So you're like a, a triple or quadruple winner. You've got ACOA, Al-Anon, AA, and it sounds like you could have used a dose of NA as well.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's a it's yeah. quite a doozy.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Doozy.
2: And in fact, you know, I will say that when I came out of the ACOA treatment, even though I had done a ton of work in there, you know, they wrote my aftercare letter that went to the therapist I was going to start seeing. And, you know, in there mm-hmm. in black and white, it said I had been severely abused. And I it, it mm-hmm. still didn't sink in what that really meant, you know, and what that mm-hmm. really meant. And so that's kind of where I started um hmm. you know that's where I started and of course yeah. going to meetings
3: and yeah
2: working.
1: so that was that was the beginning and uh just a little bit of foreshadowing here I know that there's a there's a whole lot of progressive approaches you use so so why don't you walk us through that
2: yeah so so when I had about a year of sobriety um i I had tremendous amount of anxiety and depression, and mm-hmm. I started having memories of sexual abuse come up mm. and I would have night terrors and so i the thing that saved me at that point was that I found a seven a m meeting Mm -hmm. Uh, and i would go to that i would wake up sort of in a panic and in terror you know in the early Mm -hmm. morning hours and it was all i could do to get myself to a 7 a.m meeting and you know i heard in that meeting is where i learned the very basic things of recovery you know don't drink no matter what go to meetings call people Read the literature. You know, that was just drilled into me over and over again. And I knew in my heart and soul at that point that if I didn't do that part, that I was going to die. That this stuff that was coming up and all the feelings and the memories that – If anything was going to lead me back to drinking, it was going to be that. And so I – it was almost like I – I'll tell you, Ron. I just like almost was vomiting memories. Mm. I would get it – it was all I could do to get to the meeting and Mm. share, you know, to just get it out of me. And – and thank God that there was, you know, that I had a meeting. There was nobody there telling me to, you can't talk about that, or, you mm. know, you can, you know how sometimes in some meetings people yeah. are like, well, you know, talk about alcohol. Well, for me, I this was going to be leading me, going to lead me back to drinking and drugging, and so mm. um, it was imperative that I get this stuff out, and I couldn't hold it back anymore. It was coming out all sideways and. Anyway, so I, I went to a lot of meetings. At that point, I sometimes went to more than one meeting a day, actually, and um, because I had to. I couldn't figure out how to live and cope with all this emotional turmoil, you know, be, that I had medicated my whole adolescent life. So, you know, I had a sponsor, and I called my sponsor, and, I, had, I found a doctor and I started doing a lot of alternative types of therapies like acupuncture. I would go to doctors and they would say, well, you need to take these Valium. And I'm like, I can't take Valium. I'm recovering. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd have big degrees on their walls. And I'm like, I can't take that stuff. And, well, they'd say, well, I can't really help you then. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so I found a, a, an osteopath who actually, you know, actually treats the whole person. Imagine that. And so – I started on this journey of acupuncture and biofeedback and um, and osteopathic manipulation. I carried a lot of the memories in my tissues and my body, so I had a lot of chronic kind of pains and things. And um, And then I started doing massage therapy. And one of the things that became really instrumental for me at that time was i've always written poetry and i have an art background and i i just with the vomiting of the memories i just started writing and writing and writing and Mm. drawing and drawing and pastels were my medium and so i would just push the colors around on the paper and it was so cathartic for me and Mm. i and at that time i um I actually created a book that's called When I Lay My Hands on My Heart, which is a compilation of poems and drawings about that journey of recovering memories once I put the drink and the drug down and, and how I kind of worked through and, you know, sort of the forward steps and the backwards and the, all of the trauma. And so What was really interesting is that even in spite of all that outside help and I was still going to meetings and working the steps and reading the literature, I had five years of sobriety and I wanted to die. I mean, I was like, this stuff about a pink cloud was not something I ever experienced. And um, I had a night where, and it really was a pivotal night. I was coming home from a party and I just wanted to drive my car into this big stone wall and mm. something in my head went call your sponsor it was two o'clock in the morning I think you know and I had never reached out for help like that ever in my life and so I but I did and I because I knew you know if I didn't it was I was going to go back or I was going to die and so you know I went to my sponsor's house she got up and we sat on the couch and she just held me, and I bawled my eyes out. And I told her, I said, I need to go to the hospital. And she said, no, you don't. You're you're fine right here, you know. And she stayed mm-hmm. with me, and she showed me what that, you know, what it means to really do the 12th step and help another alcoholic, you know. And mm-hmm. um was very profound for me, because no one had ever been there for me like that in my life, you know. And, um and so it was really that was a pivotal pivotal point for me because i um you know the things that i needed the most to heal i intuitively kind of knew this it was like i knew that the solution was love i but i didn't know how to love you know i had so much confusion and um chaos in my family in the relationships and so you know, slowly but surely through relationships in the program, I started to understand and experience, you know, how you can be safe and how you can have boundaries and, and, and love and be vulnerable and not lose yourself completely and things like that. And so I got the message pretty early on that if I was going to be successful and not go backwards, I had to keep searching you know, it was a spiritual program, and the key to that was to never stop growing spiritually. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, there's that piece in the big book where it talks about, you know, being willing to grow along spiritual lines, and that has been like the front and center for me, and from for for a long, long time, and it and it still is today. You know, it's the the message is, well, you don't just grow spiritually and then rest on your laurels and you're good, you know. I don't, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like you got to keep going. And uh-huh. as you and I both have Stephen Levine in common from our background. Uh-huh. You know, he was very instrumental in my early part of my recovery. And, and I remember reading one of his books, and it talked about a guy who was, had cancer, and he had had this, that, and the other thing. And there was a line in the book that said, deeper and deeper levels of healing. And uh-huh. I was like, damn, Really? more, (laughs) more,
3: I don't want to do any
2: more. I mean, I would rebel sometimes, but at the same time, I kept going, you know, so I went on retreats and did silent meditation retreats and I tried Native American drumming circles and I I mean I really tried everything. I went to every Christian type church there is out there trying to figure out like wh- what's gonna work for me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um and so um you know and I, I just continued to draw and write and, and do the poetry thing and um and that's kind of what brought me get has gotten me, or what became my foundation, um, became a sort of the fundamental foundation of mm-hmm. how I approached recovery.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a lot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it was a so, lot. it's a
1: lot. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to make sure and acknowledge that. That. Um, yeah. One of the things Stephen Levine, you know, in, encourages to do, he's past now, but he would encourage, you know, don't don't walk past those points of pain. Don't walk past those things that need to be acknowledged. And so um, that, that was a lot, Laura.
2: Yeah, and, you know, he, he, as you know, has a lot of recorded guided meditations. And there's one that he, that I found early too, which was around healing the heart of the womb. And I used that meditation regularly for a long time because mm-hmm. I didn't want to be a victim. You know, I didn't want to, here I was sober, I had a new leash on life, lease on life, and I was just sort of going, really? I'm not sure that I know how to do this or how to be free. Mm-hmm. And it was things like that, like doing the meditations and going to retreats and things that really helped uh, build that foundation for me uh-huh. of not being afraid. Like, I, I was so afraid of, like, well, what if I open this door or that door or uncover this thing? Then what am I going to do, you know? and uh-huh. um, And that kind of spiritual development was soothing for me. It was safe. Uh-huh. It was... You know, it gave me a forum to explore and be myself and and sort of take what I like and leave the rest, just like we do in meetings, you know.
3: Mm-hmm. So,
2: so the basic things that I had learned in the rooms and through the literature, I took that whole practice of, you know, pr- actually practicing the principles in all my affairs, I took that out into mm-hmm. the world with me and found other mm-hmm. avenues, you know, mm-hmm. where I could – Grow even
1: deeper. So you you said something I want to make sure and acknowledge because it's uh, it needs acknowledging. You you said that you were you were always scared about the next door to open or what you might have mm-hmm. to do, and yet and yet I, I want to make sure and acknowledge that you displayed a tremendous amount of courage in being willing to keep opening those doors. Um, that's that's no small deal considering that you will walk in that path with fear all the while.
2: Yeah, and Ron, you know, that the truth of the matter of it is is that sometimes I I didn't do it willingly. You know, I would get there were mm-hmm. things I couldn't that would happen that I couldn't ignore, you know. Mm-hmm. I'd have physical and it would manifest in ways like physical symptoms. I would develop a sickness of some kind, you know, or mm-hmm. um that would send me down this path. To find out that, you know, well, drugs are not an option, so what do I do mm-hmm. and how do I resolve that? And, yeah. you know, so it's that kind of awakening and consciousness that was being born in me um, mm-hmm. that is, I would say, probably incredibly profound in terms of progressing in my recovery. It was like mm-hmm. I knew the old way didn't work, Um I had to, you know, stay away from a lot of my old friends. I had to build new relationships, and and yet I didn't know how to do that sober.
3: So it really was, mm-hmm. you
2: know how they, you know how they say in the rooms about, you know, about how we're like, um, our maturity or develop emotional development sort of stops at the age at which we yeah. started using. Well, so I was yeah. eleven. <laughs>
3: mm.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: I was eleven.
1: Mm. So, you know, one of the things that really intrigued me as we were chatting and realized we were going to record one of these was that you, you brought something new into the mix for me, um, something that I got excited about partly because I know and love you and partly because it's like, wow, there's something new here. And, uh, oh, oh, I'd like you, I, I want people to hear about things that they may not know about. And so, so tell us a little bit about, you know, all this led you to, to foundations of well-being. Uh, which is yeah. a, a whole a whole new modality so so talk us through how you got there and what it meant and 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 how you practice it
2: okay so um keeping along in the in line with the theme of uh being willing to grow along spiritual lines for forever mm-hmm. and ever amen
3: <laughs> i
2: um you know i'm I'm a seeker, and i um years ago I had gotten turned on to this organization that Edgar Mitchell founded called the Institute of Noetic Sciences, and I'd mm-hmm. been to a conference on child prodigies and things. It was really cool. I mean, it was really like some out there stuff, just research and studying and things that they were doing, books that they wrote. And uh, anyway, I get a newsletter from them, and I see this uh, ad about, or this this article about this new program that Rick Hansen, who's a neuroscientist and, um, at Berkeley, was doing and I thought he was starting it last year and um and I was like wow that looks really cool because I was kind of feeling a little bit stagnant in my recovery I was kind of like okay what's next I mean you know I still I go to meetings regularly still I help other alcoholics but there was something missing and I couldn't put my finger on it you know and so I um I I just decided I was going to take a chance and jump in with this program, which is an online on-demand program. And I had been mm. reading a lot about neuroscience and the brain and neuroplasticity and how the brain can kind of you can rewire your brain, you know? And I was mm. like, I was always so skeptical about that, but I have a science <laughs> background. I was like, really?
3: You know the, pos- the
2: whole positive psychology movement. I was always yeah. like, "Are you kidding me, really?" Because I really <laughs> felt like it was not authentic. You know, it's like, "Well, you're going to pretend to be happy." You know, like that doesn't work for me.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: I started digging in and really reading some about all this neuroscience stuff. And and one of the things, and and so I said to myself, "You know what? This is a reasonably priced thing. It ha- it combines." Lectures with practical exercises with meditation, it's all online. I can do it when I have time, so it's convenient that way. you know it's not like I have to show up on Thursdays at ten o'clock for the class and um which doesn't work so well for me right now and and so I just decided okay i'm gonna you know I'm gonna sign up for this class, and holy moly, I had no idea what I was getting into mm. it's it is an awesome so there are so the foundation of the program is that there are these 12 key strengths that exist inside our brains, right? And yeah. they are things like and they are things like self-caring and mindfulness and learning and vitality and courage and aspiration and motivation and intimacy and confidence. And I saw all those words and I was like, wow, that's what I want. I want more of that, you know? Mm. I, I've gotten this far, but I want more, and I'm not really sure how to get there. So I started taking this class, and I was blown away at how it was exactly the thing I needed at exactly the time I needed it. And so the way it's structured, for example, is, you know, for, for one month, the topics that are covered in the, in the class are on self-caring, let's say. And each hmm. week – there's a lecture on a subtopic related to self caring, and then these experiential exercises that you can do that involve drawing. Some of them involve drawing, some of them involve these meditations. So it was like exactly pulling together the stuff I had been doing on my own in a more formal, kind of structured way. And um, so
1: it sounds, it sounds really experiential, Laura.
2: It is very experiential, but it's also, so I, like I was saying, I really need a little bit of the science part, like I, <laughs> someone tell you, know, the whole notion in the program of act as if, like I was mm-hmm. always like, that's, I never could really get my head around that, but, and I always, like I said, I thought it was kind of inauthentic to do that, and I didn't want to be like inauthentic or not real, and. But what I learned through this program is that when we do that, what we're doing is we're rewiring our brains. Like our brains, humans' brains, not just addicts, but all humans. You know, the way our brains are programmed is we have this negativity bias and so that we naturally mm-hmm. go to being fight, flight, freeze kind of responses or to or to think in a negative way. Mm-hmm. And that this whole program is really designed to teach you to how to retrain your brain not to do that. And I was like, wow, that is pretty cool. Because, you know, being a survivor and, you know, this whole story that I've just told about what it was like, I mean, and I only touched the iceberg of what it was like growing up in my house and as a kid. And, and then as I became a young adult, you know, I was so full of turmoil. And this re- it really helped me to understand. I had a sponsor years ago who used to say to me, honey, you need to remember that before you're anything else, you're a human being.
3: Mm,
1: there you go,
2: and I was like, "What but this program the so the foundations of well being helps me in that It's like it helps me to be like the worker among workers and
3: mm-hmm. and to
2: be one of the gang and 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 to just sort of not <clears throat> not fall prey to you know." this tragic story of my life (laughs) is going to, is, is hard to tell. It's, you know, I'm a victim. I didn't want to be that, you know? So I really felt like at this stage of my recovery, I really need to figure out how to take the story that I've been telling is, I need to learn how to embrace it in a different way. Because I, I think I was telling you earlier on how I, I sometimes tell my sponsor now like I'm so done with this story of mine. I want somebody else's story <laughs> to tell. Like can't I have somebody else's story? And um and so, you know so so part of this for me is about learning how to embrace the story and not necessarily you know, because when I when you tell the story sometimes it kicks up a lot of old feelings and a lot of old ways of thinking and and I really want to transform that for myself so that when I tell the story, I don't come to it with feeling like feelings of dread or, you know, it's sad. There's sometimes when I tell the story, and I still to this day, 30 years later, I cry because it's like, holy cow, that, I'm talking about my life here, you know? Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean,
2: that's a pretty profound thing.
1: Well, you, uh, I have to acknowledge this. So, I mean, it's interesting. You just talked about how our, you know, our, our flight, fight, or freeze tendencies, and what you just described was was to go against those by embracing and engaging this stuff, which is, um, I guess what I heard you saying was that's how you make your story something different. Is that, is that what I hear?
3: heard? Yeah.
2: For oh. me, that's where I've landed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um it's just where i've landed in trying to you know as far, so so 30 years of recovery and you go well wow you know that's a lot of recovery aren't you done? <laughs> aren't you done? <laughs> well,
3: so,
1: yeah so so here's a moment of honesty so when when someone says when someone says "Mar, aren't you done um i, I mean like what's your visceral response to that
2: so we're never done you know, life, is it, being alive and being present in life is about, um, you know, it's about choices. It's about, about how we respond to different things. You know, I've learned, I think, and some of this is that I've also aged 30 years, you know, and so that helps. Yeah. But, you know, the wisdom that comes with time and just getting through a lot of this stuff has been, is really at the root of it for me, I think, which is the notion of, you know, we um, we we have to keep going forward, you know. And like I was saying earlier about, you know, not resting on one's laurels or not just sort of being complacent. You know, we talk about complacency and the danger of complacency in recovery. And <clears throat> for me you know i don't i just i live i have a healthy amount of fear that i don't want to ever go back to where i came from you know i want okay. the freedom i want more of what i'm finding now and in order and i just believe in my heart of hearts that in order to continue to get that i have to keep being willing to grow along spiritual lines okay. and I, sometimes i don't know what that means, like, well, okay, what, what is that going to look like, you know, and then I happen upon foundations of well-being, and I go, oh, yay, you know, <laughs> there's this whole, like like you said, undis- unknown thing out there that I just discovered, and because I'm, open and it's go you know, and Ron, it really goes back to me, to the basics of the program, of the how, you know, the how of the program that we often talk about, being honest. Open-minded and willing, you know Mm -hmm. those core fundamental principles that we are taught early on. They never they they continue to, you know, guide the growth that I seek in my life. You know, Mm -hmm. they're the core of me. So, I mean, I think the other piece of it is, you know, like I said, sometimes I just don't want to. I want a different story to tell.
3: (laughs) Yeah yeah
2: life life is full of triggers for me and i and i think that the message is that i don't have to be controlled by that anymore you know things like working the steps and things like working a program like foundations of well-being and things like do, doing massages and and all of the stuff that i did along the way i still do today because um you know i don't i, I don't want to ever give up I just don't want to give up because to give up means to die. Irene, I really got it early on that to drink is to die, and I don't want to die hmm.
1: isn't isn't that an irony because um dying seemed to be something that you were flirting with so much thirty well yes. twenty five years ago, even
2: right i mean, and i it was such an integral. Part of my being, and I think my perspective on it now is that a lot of the root of it—I mean, a, a lot at the root—was that I didn't know how to live.
1: Oh, say, say say something more about that. You you didn't know how to live.
2: So you know, having been a drug addict and an alcoholic at such a young age, I didn't know how to live sober. I didn't have the skills, the problem solving. You know, I grew up in a home where if you had a problem, my mother would give me Valium. That was the uh-huh. way of coping. Or take this drink. You know, that that was the modeling I got. And so I really didn't know how to solve problems and and I didn't know how to weather a lot of the ups and downs of life without being intoxicated and so you know a lot of that early part of sobriety was just learning how to live on life's terms and not get rock rocked by it all you know and learning how to ride the waves instead of going these really peaks and valleys and all the chaos that Terry Gorski talks about in some of his tapes and books you know
1: sure Um, yeah so is it is it safe to say? I mean, it's real apparent that that you've been remade. Um, I mean, you're, <laughs> certainly, you're certainly you certainly still sound like you have all the all the human challenges we all do. But is it but is is it safe to say that 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 this stuff has had uh, a, a cumulative benefit, a cumulative change in you is that is that what we're seeing with this work you've done over time
2: yeah and so the way i would sort of describe well what does that mean right what is the cumulative effect so so i just i'll just say a couple of quick examples so for example you know along with wanting to die most of my life i had tremendous amounts of anxiety I mean, like a panic attacks. When I got sober, I started having panic attacks. I mean, it was debilitating for me. And, um, you know, and so through the process of all these things that we've been talking about um, and the the techniques that I used and tried and continue to use and try, and I didn't mention yoga, which has been a majorly important piece for me, um, mm-hmm. to learn how to be comfortable in my own you know that it was a really hard thing when you've been sexually abused it's a really challenging thing Mm -hmm. to just show up in your own body on any given day um but anyway so i would say that it's almost like the healing has taken root on the inside and worked its way out you know in the beginning it was a lot of going through the motions doing what i was being told and building those muscles so that it became automatic to when I felt like I needed a drink, go to a meeting or pick up the literature or pick up the phone. And now it's a different kind of experience. It's more of a feeling of like this, you know how like a deep wound has to heal from the inside out? You can't stitch it up or it gets infected. It's like that. It's, it's sort of this inside out healing that's happening. And, um, and and it's pretty profound, I have to say. I never, never, never thought that I would get to this place of peace in my life. Couldn't imagine it.
1: Well, that is one hell of a testament to the path you've been on. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Congratulations. Congratulations, Laura. This is uh you know, it, it's been a little while since we've had a chance to talk talk at depth and and I have to tell you that it just reminds me of how much I admire what you've done and and no wonder we're kindred kindred spirits. <laughs>
2: Well, thanks, Ron, and I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to talk to you today and to share my story and hope, like I always do, that it helps somebody, you know, get, a, get some hope, you know. I needed a lot of hope early on, and I found it in the rooms and in various places on my path along the way, and hopefully, I'll, hopefully just by telling the story, you know, I'll be able to help somebody else.
1: I'd say you succeeded magnificently. Thanks, Laura. (laughs)
2: Thanks,
0: Ron. To listen to more or to learn more, visit ProgressiveRecovery.org. Better still, please subscribe to our updates. There are excellent special guests in the queue, and we'll soon announce Series 2 of the recovery sessions. Thanks again for listening. This is Ron Chapman
3: for Progressive Recovery. Bye for now.